0: So Money, Episode 823, Best of 2018, Extreme Money Makeovers.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome
0: back to our look back at 2018. This is a tradition here on So Money where I dedicate the last two weeks to recapping some of the best, some of the most interesting interviews from the year in an effort to get you to go back and listen to some of this amazing content or reinspire you. Today we're talking about extreme money makeovers. There were a number of guests this year who shared how they went from rags to riches or overcame mounds of debt, triple, quadruple to their income. It was really hard to narrow down this list for today. And before we get to the interviews, just want to say, you know, I always thought there should be a reality show called Extreme Money Makeovers. <laughs> where you follow someone or a couple on their journey to reviving their financial life. You know, people who go for broke and then do the hard and creative work of rebuilding their balance sheets. And I, of course, would be the host. So just putting that idea out there. If anyone's listening and wants to film a pilot, you know where to find me. I got some people we can interview. But back to today. Our year-end wrap focuses on the so many guests who I think are just financial warriors. You know, they went to battle with their money, and they came out victorious. We're talking serious financial problems. First stop is Doctors Renee and Ni nee Darko, a married couple, episode 685. What would you do if you woke up with $662,000 in student loans? Yes. That's crazy, right? Over $650,000 in debt. You know, we talk about the student loan epidemic in this country. Certainly many people carrying six-figure debt, but this Six hundred and sixty two thousand dollars. That's a first for me, but it is a reality. It was a reality for this couple. They met in medical school and they completed very rigorous surgical residencies on top of that, got their MBAs. and so, you know, you can see where the debt really started to add up. They woke up to see their total debt balance had ballooned, actually, to the high six figures after years of deferment and forbearance. They were obviously stressed, they were confused. They weren't making any progress on actually paying down their principal, even with the relatively higher salaries in the medical field. So they decided to get very serious. So here's a clip of them explaining in detail how they dug themselves out.
1: Whoa. Okay. So it all started, this is me. So it all started when we went on our honeymoon, actually. Uh, We got married in 2013, late November, 2013, and went on our vacation to Australia. And we've been dating for a long period of time and we had never taken any type of trip together or anything like that. And just fast forward to about, Day five on the trip, we didn't have any cell phone access. We didn't really have data and we were just enjoying ourselves because we weren't plugged in. We were just enjoying life. And then we looked at each other and we said, when's the next time we're going to be able to have fun like this? Right. You know, and we kind of talked talked about what were the main things that would prevent us from being able to come back and do a trip like this. The biggest one was work. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we work was to pay off our student loans. Remember that? Right.
2: Absolutely. And you have to understand, um, you know, it wasn't your average honeymoon. We had actually decided to go to Australia, New Zealand and Bali for a month. So we actually took a month off. So it's not like, oh, well, they went to Maui for like two weeks. So Mm -hmm. we really wanted to be able to have the, the capacity to do that. But with so much student loan debt and having to work that off, we we just knew it, it wasn't going to be possible unless we did something different
1: right so then once let's say we fast forward when we got home we basically started to combine our finances and we used mint the app and we put together all of our liabilities and realized that we were dead broke you know so even though we had an okay income a good income we were, we felt blessed to have that we just realized that we were literally what Minus six hundred it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: (laughs) And 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 just to explain how that came to be, it wasn't like you took on six hundred sixty two thousand dollars in student loans. That was a result of deferment and forbearance and the And the balance ballooning, essentially. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes.
1: So we both went to the same med school. Uh, We both did different residencies. But by the time we finished med school together, we had each about two hundred and what, twenty thousand dollars in debt about that. So Renee did some additional training in OB for four years. I did surgery training for an additional six years and we were deferring and forbearing. And it's like I can't deal with it now with our low salaries. And by the time we got married, it was like, wait, how did we go from two hundred and twenty <laughs> wow. to three hundred and thirty thousand dollars each? Yeah,
0: yeah, it Yikes. was crazy. Yikes! Okay, so the the shock sets in, <laughs> the fear of <laughs> God left. sets in, the tear yeah. the tears start the tears, coming down. All of that, all of that. Mm-hmm. What next?
2: So we, as Nee mentioned, we get home and then fast forward, maybe about another, close to another year. And we realized, you know, we haven't really made a dent in this student loan, um, you know, the student loan burden at all. And um, what happened was we actually ended up uh, taking... Insurance for disability and life and for life insurance. And at that point, we were paying up the wazoo for disability and life insurance. And I was getting really, really upset because I felt like we were spending so much money on that and we weren't spending much money on our student loans. We were only paying the minimum. And so finally, we had this discussion. I was like, look, this is not benefiting us at all. Um, And I just feel like we need to make more of a dent in our student loans. So we just kind of decided that something needed to change.
1: So we realized that we had really overpriced life insurance and disability insurance. Um, We learned through your show you know, that we needed to get a lot more affordable insurance. So we had whole life insurance. Dun, Whoa. dun, dun.
0: Ooh, <laughs> oh, yikes. Yo,
1: Farnoosh, yo, we were paying oh, so much. Why did we you paying- get
0: that? Who so
1: convinced that we didn't know let's any him course. or her right now.
0: Exactly. We were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you want
1: to talk about financial fails?
0: <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah, to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so we were spending more on our life insurance and disability than our student loan payments.
0: Oh, thousands gosh. of dollars, right. which is ironic yeah. because if God forbid something happened to you and that life insurance has to kick in, it's like you're only going to then be able to pay off your student loans in death. Absolutely. It's like, Well, you, what about living your life and being able to afford your life today? I totally get it. And I think that was the right call. Right. Right. So
2: um so we we basically just decided that, OK, look, Um, we're going to hit the hit the ground running with um, with our student loans. And we decided to basically cash in our life insurance. And thankfully, we did that um, and ended up paying towards our private loans because our private loans, because we had federal and private loans. So our private loans, I think our highest um, Interest rate was about nine point two five percent.
1: And they and they totaled about one hundred and thirty thousand yeah, dollars.
2: Yeah. So we ended up paying that off. And then we worked with a financial advisor and our original plan, our original plan was to pay off our private loans in three years and then pay off our federal loans in about 10 years. And so one day me comes home from work and I tell him, I'm like, look, we can pay pay these private loans off in a year. And he's like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Get out
1: of here. I just got home from work. I'm like, can I have something to eat first? I'm like, no, we're paying (laughs) these
2: private loans in a year.
1: Like we made a plan. It was three years and then 10 years. What are you talking about one year? Yeah.
2: And so at the end of it, I mean, we literally went to work. And when I say we went to work, like we got ourselves you know much more in terms of hours um at work
0: and we ended up paying off the private loans in six months. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's also talk about the fact that you reduced your you talk about eating me. Yeah. Wasn't much food in the house. Two dollars a month, <laughs> Two hundred dollars a month for your grocery budget for oh, two and a half years, yeah. I read.
1: Yeah. yeah. So far news, we learned the power of budgeting and we realized. So before we started budgeting, we actually started analyzing what was coming in and coming out through a yeah, spreadsheet just tracking. and just tracking our money. And we found out that we were spending so much money on fast food and still buying groceries. So, you know, I spend a lot of my time at work. She spends a lot of her time at work. So a lot of the money we were spending at the cafeteria or we would spend at Wendy's or what have you. And then there was all this food in the refrigerator just perishing away and we throw it away. So we made a pact that we would bring our lunch in. We made a pact that we wouldn't spend so much money on fast food and so forth. And after we did all the math, we said, hey, listen, we actually could get by with just $200 Uh a month. Now I'm not gonna lie, like the first two or three months was really difficult. But after a while, you know, turkey sandwich and cheese and, and bread, mm-hmm. ramen noodles, <laughs> ramen
0: noodles, you're working, <laughs> you know, you don't really have time to feast. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, so we,
1: but we made it happen. And the other thing, too, is we work as a team. So, mm-hmm. you know, my job is to was to, you know, clean the dishes and then Renee would cook. So it w- it never got too overwhelming. Right. right? So she right. would do she would cook. She's a better cook than I am. Um, and then I would do the dishes and it would just be a lot more equitable that way. And right. we would save tons of tons of money and then we just realized we had all this money we can put towards our student loan debt
2: plus we're we're from immigrant families so we really love beans and rice
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh growing up chicken and rice chicken and That's rice right? isn't it nice we had a rhyme what's dinner what's for dinner tonight mom chicken and rice <laughs> chicken and rice yep
1: and the chicken rice was the main dish
0: yep That's right <laughs> It goes without saying, but Renee and me nee are also positive, optimistic, and great, effective communicators. And I think all of that too contributed to their success in sticking to their money goals and refueling their financial lives. To learn more about where they are today, check out the full episode, episode 685. All right. So having six figures in debt is very difficult, but imagine the unthinkable losing your entire life savings. At the hands of the crook, Bernie Madoff. You know Bernie. He stole over $50 billion worth of his clients' investments in a Ponzi scheme, and he's serving 150 years in federal prison. Our guest from this year on episode 709, Janine Roth, and her husband had to pick up the pieces and renew their financial lives after falling victim to his crimes. How they managed to thrive despite losing everything is an unforgettable story. Here's Janine as she describes the horror, but also the gratitude that came with this experience. Well, I want to talk more about the money piece of your journey. It's no secret, you've talked about it publicly, that you were a victim of Bernie Madoff and his illustrious Ponzi scheme. You lost your life savings. And I don't want to... Belabor that too much, but I, I'm curious how you were able to th- not just, not just get through that, but it seems like you're thriving. Uh, that, that takes an extraordinary talent and emotional willpower. I'll give you that. Maybe you don't, we th- are more humble to say that, but I think that's, I can't imagine going through something like that, uh, and having still the career that you do and the mindset and the, Positivity that you do. So, what 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 is your superhuman power, Janine? <laughs> I guess that's my question.
3: You know what? Um, what I did, which is what anybody can do. Uh, well, well, first of all, let me backtrack and uh, say that when we lost, it was every penny of our life savings. My husband and my combined thirty years of life savings, which we were silly enough um, to put it into one place. So, you know, talk about four, probably by the time you're eight, you know, not to do that. And we had uh, already lost some money to another financial advisor who was a close friend who embezzled our money. And then another friend after that said to us, oh, I feel so bad for you. Come, I'll open up this fund that I'm invested in with this guy named Bernie Madoff, who my father has known for generations. His, you know, my friend Richard's mother had worked in Bernie Madoff's office. My friend Richard's father knew him that, you know, he was part of their whole basic extended family. And of course, for the 30 years that they had been investing, It had only done well, not extraordinarily well, the way that people imagine Madoff funds did, you know, because that, because it was all made up, Bernie Madoff could give some funds of his choosing 20%, 30%. Our fund, which we could, when Richard opened it up to us, could put anywhere from $10,000 in and up because he opened it up to his friends who really didn't know much about money. And, you know, he felt like it was in his generosity and actually was very generous of him to do that. So we went in very carefully. And then eventually, after a couple of years, I think we were invested in the Madoff Fund for about five years, but but had tried to take all of our money out six months before it went um, under, but they, you know, you had to leave it in for six months before you could take it out. So it was very complicated thing there. In any case, we lost it. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got the call that we lost everything, I went into immediate shock and terror, of course, because I, I didn't know whether we'd have enough money to make it through that month. Well, I knew we'd have enough to make it through the month, but not any more than that. And I had, luckily, I had good friends who said to me, nothing of any value has been lost. And it was so shocking to hear that. And so you know, upside down to hear that. And of course I felt like this was not the time to be spiritual for goodness sakes. Um, this is the time to get hysterical. But what I realized very soon was that if I was going to survive through the night, because I was in such terror and grief and shame, talk about shame. Um, I was going to have to learn how to focus on what I hadn't lost. And that was the only way I could get through on the fact that I still had a roof over my head at that moment. The fact that I had enough to eat at that moment, the fact that I still had friends at that moment, I still had a pantry filled with food at that moment. And so there was a vigilance about bringing myself my mind back from the cliffs of terror and shame an urgency and necessity to do that otherwise i feel like i just would have ripped myself apart in self-loathing and so it was a or b bring myself back from the brink every time i wandered which was probably a hundred times a day or go falling off the cliffs of shame and terror and grief and fear, uh, which of course is part of terror. And so I started bringing my mind back. And after a while, after about the first week of doing that, I started realizing that the way I was seeing things was different and that I was getting happier and happier and happier and happier. And that I realized that even before we had lost our money, I still lived in this low-level anxiety. I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid of so many different things, really. And when I was bringing my mind back and focusing so many times a day on what I hadn't lost, the happiness and the joy started getting very, very big until after a while I was happier than I had been in a really, really long time, which of course is very surprising and which many people don't believe. But it was actually true to the point where my mother said to me after a few weeks, "Um, how are you? And I said, really happy. And she said, are you on drugs? Because she didn't quite believe that uh, my husband and I could have lost everything and I could be really happy. But that allowed me to take the next step, to be objective about, first of all, what could I do in that moment? And so what I did was write a piece called What Bernie Madoff Couldn't Steal From Me and sent it to salon.com. They published it. It became number one on their um, on their website for quite a while. And then out of that came the idea to write a book about that. And so the money started coming back, in a sense, because I wrote a book proposal, and then I got an advance. And so that, you know, it was a string of events that happened that would not have happened had I lived in terror and shame and grief. What did it teach
0: you necessarily about money? That experience.
3: Oh, wow.
0: Well, it taught me that
3: um, I well it taught me a couple of things about money in particular. Of course, it taught me to be much more diligent, much more mindful about where I. Both spent my money, invested my money to do a lot of research, to have that be in alignment with my values about what I really cared about, to look into investments that I made. About another level is that it was a level on an emotional level. So there was the actual literal level of money and I did a lot of research about it because I was so amazed that I had treated my money or treated money the way I did with food, and that there were many, many similarities that I would I would budget and splurge the way I had um, dieted and binged. That there was always the sense that there wasn't enough. And so before the ax came down, I would, you know, buy this or eat that before I, you know, you know, told myself I couldn't have it anymore, that there was what I call the one wrong move syndrome, you know, one more thing and I'm off the deep end and that had to do with food and that had to do with money and the way I held myself in such low regard. Really. And what it also taught me was that abundance, so to speak, happens first by getting in touch with what I do have. That the scarcity mentality I had, both about food and about money, was not serving me at all. That I didn't, and that it was an inside job prosperity. Now, obviously, there's an external validation of that, but it starts on the inside with focusing on the abundance and the goodness that's already there.
0: Well, I still hate Bernie Madoff, but it sounds (laughs) like he did you in some convoluted, crazy, inexplicable way, a service. (laughs) At least that's how you're seeing it. Oh, I absolutely see it like that.
3: I see it like that because what it taught me was that no situation was unworkable. Was that the things that I would, because really, I mean, you know, it, it losing all your money from 30 years of being self-employed, both my husband and I are self-employed, um, is, you know, up there on the list of things that you never want to happen in your entire life or that you're afraid of happening and that you'll never recover from. And, you know, one thing I want to say about this is that there are many made-off investors who have not recovered mm-hmm. and that it caused a huge amount of suffering and and is still causing a huge amount of suffering. So I Never lose track of that. I happened to be one of the lucky ones because I um, had already had quite a committed uh, inner practice, a meditation practice um, and had done and and really looking at myself and becoming aware of my thoughts very quickly. And so because of that, I was better able to keep looking at what I hadn't lost instead of what I had lost. And I was able to be vigilant about that. I also had the resources uh, to start again, so to speak, or to um, write a book, to um, write a piece in salon.com. I had resources like very, very good friends who were a support system. But more than anything, as I said, that taught me to um, that, that the way that 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 my thoughts really, really matter. And that there's a difference between a situation and the story I'm telling myself about the situation. That was the most profound learning that I had there, that the situation, if I told anybody the situation, they would recoil in horror. And that was their interpretation of it. That was their story about it, just as it was my story about it. And we see this every single day. If somebody doesn't answer a text that I send them, I go into interpreting why they didn't. All that happened was that I sent a text and they haven't answered it. Where I start reacting is what i think their lack of answer means <laughs> and with the madoff loss it was oh my god i'm going to be homeless i'm going to get to the end of my days and i'm going to be living on the streets out and eating out of you know cat food tins and you know with a, a cup and you know with big moles on my face with hairs coming out i mean i had a whole story about what i was going to look like as a homeless person alone And without money from having lost that money, you know, out on the street, um, even the, you know, the next month, there were horror stories that I was telling myself. And it was to those that I was reacting. So there was the objective situation. And then there was a story I was telling myself about it. And that, that event showed me the difference and I have never forgotten that ever so that it's gotten to the point now where I don't believe my thoughts or if I start believing the story I'm telling myself about a situation I realize very soon afterwards that that's different than the
0: situation and that and that I'm reacting
3: to the story not the situation.
0: Janine is a New York Times bestselling author. Her most recent book is called This Messy Magnificent Life, A Field Guide. It offers inspiring personal, very personal, and often spiritual reflections on how we can all find peace, make wise choices, and practice everyday joy. And truly, if Janine can do it, I think there is hope for all of us. Finally, my guest this year, David Nagel, told me that making more money is kind of a matter of the mind. He's managed to grow his own net worth exponentially, and David helps thousands of entrepreneurs gain the confidence they need to improve their money mindset to then reach radical financial success. But David's beginning was a struggle. He is a high school dropout. He had a near-death experience early on in his life, and it was truly a wake-up call like none other, he says, that he felt like a second chance at not only his own life, but also helping others reach their greatest potential. Here is David taking us back to that nearly tragic day and the days, months, and years that followed when he began to change his life. I'm really fascinated with how you help your clients transform their financial mindsets and their bank accounts, frankly. And I want to learn more from you, and we all do. But before we get to the tactics and the strategies, I would love to... Just really explore your life a little bit. And it's no secret that in the run-up to transforming your own life, you had a near-death experience. And I know you've probably talked about this ad nauseum, but it's fascinating. You almost you almost didn't make it. And people were convinced you were not gonna make it. And I always it's rare that I get to meet somebody who's had that experience. And so forgive me, but I really would like to know, like in that moment, what was going through your mind?
4: Wow. Um, well, there were a lot of things going through my mind in the in the actual moment itself. It went from um, pure um, shock and just instinctively, cause I got, I was in a river, I got separated from a boat and I got sucked through a dam. So when I came out the other side of the dam, the first thing was I did not realize how, how, how bad I had been injured physically. And I was just trying to get to shore. So I couldn't get to shore because the current was so strong and I was just going with the current Unfortunately, there's another dam about two miles down the river and I needed to do something. So as I went around a, uh, uh, an island, I grabbed onto this tree branch that was hanging over into the water really far. And when I grabbed onto that branch, I then had realized that I had shredded like all the skin off the palm of my hands um, I, uh, I saw that I was bleeding from various places on my body. I didn't know where all that was coming from, but I was I was trying to just think through, um, you know, a trauma situation and what do I do, need to do one two three in order to survive. So once I got myself in a stable position, because I strapped my life vest to this branch because I couldn't hold on anymore. Um, I was, I started like bargaining with God on the tree. You know, my life was flashing in front of my eyes. For whatever reason, I realized at that moment that the bad situation that I had created for myself, which was basically not having the ability to fulfill my responsibilities as um, a young father and husband, was because of poor decision making throughout my life. And I saw it as, you know, I don't know why I have not been able to get myself to do all these things that I should have done. And I said, you know, God, if you'll let me live today, I'll figure out why I didn't do that. And then I'll spend the rest of my my life teaching other people. So it's a weird thing to to go back and realize that that's what I was thinking about hanging from that branch. But the the realization that I had right after that was that, you know, I was 23 years old when that happened. That life is actually very short, and we really don't know how long we're going to be here. So, if we're going to do something, if we're going to make a change, uh, perhaps we should consider doing it now instead of pushing it off into the future, which was kind of the way that I was raised. Everything was pushed off into the future. Um, there was no immediacy in making a positive change uh, in anybody's life when I was when I was growing up. So that's where it all started. It's, it started with that idea. Then the, my my mental focus became on what do I need to change? Um, how do I need to change it? And the process began from there.
0: What was the first step in that process? What was the first thing you worked on changing?
4: Well, actually, the first step in that process was becoming more frustrated because I did not understand how to make a change or even where to go for information. So this is prior to the internet, prior to, you know, home computers. Um, I was working on a dock. I was working six and a half days a week. I was making $20,000 a year. Um, I was pretty darn exhausted. And it was after having just like a frustration meltdown one night on this dock, that this voice in my head said, David, change your attitude. So it started with a mental change of attitude. And the way that I changed that was that I, I really evaluated myself based on the guy who started the company that I was working for. He had a similar background to me growing up, and he had built a company that was making several hundred million a year. It was a food importer. Um, And I thought, what's the difference between him and I? And I noticed a couple of things right away, three things that were that that I changed. He loved what he did and I didn't. I hated it. So I started acting like I loved what I was doing. Um, He did everything. I figured he must have done everything to the best of his ability. I didn't even know what that was for myself. Uh, I was constantly being reprimanded for shoddy work, um, mm-hmm. various different things as far as the quality of work that I was doing. So I thought I'm going to do everything to, to the very best of my ability. And the third thing was that I noticed the way he treated people and regardless of who they were, or where they came from or what he was doing, if he was in a situation to interact with somebody, like even, even if he was walking past somebody on the dock, he would acknowledge them, and he would say, hi, how's your day, um, how's your family, that type of thing. And I was not, at that time of my life, I was not treating people with respect because I was so angry at myself and the situation that I had got myself into. So I said, I'm gonna change those three things. I'm gonna change them for 12 months and see what happens. And in 30 days, my income tripled. And I thought to myself, I don't know how these two things are connected, but I need to find out. And cause if I can figure out how they're connected, I could absolutely change anything. And I knew that it was something that I had done. I just wasn't sure what it was. Everybody else around me was saying that I got lucky, but I knew that it wasn't luck. I knew that it was, it was something that I changed in who I was being as a person.
0: Um, allowed
4: that to happen
0: strategically, did you ask for the money, or we just arrived, and maybe that can parlay us into some of the strategy work, but i I mean I'm hearing you and you're saying three things: love what you do, do be the best at it, or at least do the best you can at that thing that you love doing, and then be conscientious of how you're treating people, respect people, but there's nothing there that yet says to me you know, do this strategic thing or, um, you know, here's a tip or here's like some actual action advice, actionable. This is all mental game right now. Um, Where, when did you start to recognize that you were actually doing things that were strategic and action driven?
4: Well, so, so that came, that came second to this after I began to study a little bit. What this changed though, was my perception. And it allowed me to see an opportunity that I recent that I had previously perceived as just too risky, something that I didn't want to do. And as I changed my attitude, it changed my perception, I saw the opportunity as something completely different and it allowed my income to immediately go up. So there is an actionable step there in the, in the idea that. One of the things that I teach people is that the opportunity for them to change their income to whatever they desire has to be around them all the time. They're just not perceiving it because of some way that they're looking at the world. But when I, when I really started to change my income, when it went, went from 50000 a year to 50000 a month, the actionable step there was to stop making it hard. And I was making it very difficult. And I remember I was working with my mentor at the time, and he said to me, "Um, it's easier to make $50,000 a month than it is to make $50,000 a year. And I was really looking at, you know, this is, somehow I'm making this difficult. If if I was to make this as easy as possible, what would that actually look like? And um, that came to me. And then I began to change exactly what I was doing, which was I started charge. Instead of selling um, a lot of units of something, I decided to raise my prices and sell lower amounts at a higher dollar figure.
0: Less can mean so much more sometimes. What I love about David's teachings is that he really shows how anyone with the proper mindset can reach financial success. You know, we all face adversity. Some of us are dealt richer hands in the beginning of life than others, but it's true. If you don't think something is possible, probably won't happen. And if you don't think you can change your financial life for the better, probably won't happen. The lens through which you choose to see the world makes a difference. David's full interview is episode 807, and that's a wrap. Next week, our year-end wraps continue. We have the best of health and wealth on So Money, episodes that connect our physical and mental well-being with our financial health. Also, a roundup of guests who have or plan to retire early. They're members of the FIRE movement. Financial independence, retire early. That's next week, but still, Friday, don't forget, is Ask Farnoosh. Don't miss out.